with the wire hairs, I feel like they have the ultimate on-off switch, where in the house, they're happy to lay on their dog bed, and in the field, I feel like they turn it on. But on the short hair version, I feel like they're kind of always on, and it kind of explain them in more of a hyper mode breed. Would you agree or disagree with that? Hey guys, Kat here from Standing Stone Kennels, and we have started a new podcast, just the Standing Stone Podcast. If you followed along with our podcasting journey so far, you may have listened to a few of our episodes titled Yawa, which uh, stood for You Ask, We Answer, and that entire podcast process really evolved as well over about 80 episodes, and we decided that we wanted to do something a little bit different. We wanted to invite a few more guests on the show uh, and help share their interesting stories as well, so we are going to be having a few guests on, as well as Ethan and I will still have a few sit-down conversations um, just ourselves, still of things that we're interested in talking about, dogs, hunting, basically whatever strikes our fancy, and then throwing in a few guests here and there. So if you've been following along with our social media journey as well, you'll know we have an Instagram channel and a Facebook channel, as well as, um, excuse me, we have an Instagram page and a Facebook page, as well as a YouTube channel. We are going to actually have a dedicated YouTube channel for these videos of these podcasts as well, so stay tuned for that. And then if you need additional help with dog training or any other questions, really, we have an online dog training community on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash standingstonekennels, where we can give you one-on-one help answering questions and leading you through your training journey with your puppy. And if you need training gear, we actually have a supply store at standingstonesupply.com. It is a dog training supply store and hunting supply store for everything that we actually use and recommend. We don't put anything on the store that we don't try and test ourselves. Um, And if it doesn't make the cut, it doesn't get online. So check that out at standingstonesupply.com. Now I want to introduce you to my guest today. This is Courtney Bastian. She um, is a good friend that we have really started to connect a little bit more through the dog world side of things. She has her own podcast, Bird Dog Babe, and has had me on her show a couple times. So I'm excited to get to return the favor and have her on my show. But we have a lot in common. Uh, She has a couple kids. She raises and trains dogs. She's very involved in the outdoor upland community and conservation, um, which is why I think we get along so well. We just have a lot of the same values. So I wanted to have her on the show. I want her to tell you a little bit about herself as well. Um, But we're going to be discussing the topic, which is a big question we get a lot. What is the difference between German wire hair pointers and German short hair pointers? Um, I won't hold it against her that she has German wire hair pointers, you know, but I think this is a great opportunity for two people that breed um, their separate breeds to discuss the differences between the breed that we see. Uh, Because a lot of people ask me, well, what's the difference? Well, I'm not breeding German wire hair pointers, so I do get to see a variety but I don't get to see what I would have honed my breeding program to produce. So um, I want to talk to Courtney today about that. But before we get into the nitty gritty details of the differences, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself, Courtney? 
Hey, Kat, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's always great to chat with you. So, yeah, I'm Courtney Bastion. I live here in uh, outside of Missoula, Montana. I'm a transplant from Wisconsin, so uh, I was kind of fulfilling here in, in all the wide open spaces of Montana, get on a couple more species of birds and raise the kids into the great and wild outdoors that we have provided here. So, um, yeah, we've been, we've owned German wire hair pointer since 2004 and had our first litter in 2007. Um, it's been an amazing journey and it's definitely the breed for us, even though we've added a couple other breeds in here and there randomly. Um, but yeah, my, my husband, William, he trains, um, I do, I train my own dogs, um, so I'm, I'm not a trainer, but I know enough to kind of be dangerous. <laughs> and um, yeah, the, the two kids, we have a four-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. Um, we have a menagerie of animals here, five goats, I love four following horses. along with your, your animal <laughs> stories. I live vicariously through your goats and little pigs and all the cute little animals you have on your farm. <laughs> Yeah, the pigs have been such a fun addition. And so, yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see if we can really finish them out and put them on our breakfast um, sometime in the future. Not because they're <laughs> sinking adorable. <laughs> so you said you have a couple other breeds, but we'll get into those later. Um, anything else you'd like to share? I want people to be able to find you um, on your podcast because that you interview a lot of people as well. And the more that we can share the outdoors with people, I think that the more we're going to continue this great sport. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity um, to mention that. So yeah, I do the Bird Dog Babe podcast. Um, it's, it's a lot about getting into breeding, raising, training, competing, kind of all the things with bird dogs. Um, I do follow and hear a lot of stories from women, but it is it is for both. I think like 48% of the listeners are actually men, so it's it's kind of a cool statistic. Um, but yeah, there's I have kind of a lot of things going on between the podcast. I work as a consultant for Purina. Um, our training and dog breeding business here is Claude Kennel, so you'll find that on um, Facebook and Instagram, and then. Um, gosh, what else am I doing? I'm doing some writing right now for Project Upland and I'm going for my MBA. So that's oh my super goodness. busy. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things. Sometimes I, you know, I grasp maybe too much, but I lead a very structured life. I things need to be scheduled, uh, months in advance and, and, um, I'm a planner for sure. So it, well, it's you'd fun, have to be with busy. as many things as you've got going on. Yeah, thankfully I have a you know really supportive family um, and friends and uh, you know listeners. Sometimes I get a podcast out late. I used to do one every week, and now I do it every other week since I started back in school. And so people are understanding and forgiving, and um, you know that's that's kind of the busy mom work life. So yeah, and and the thing is, our lives evolve. What we're doing evolves. Our families evolve. You know, you're. Your kids are, you said seven and four, right? Right. So they've changed. I mean, I have a 10 month old and a three and a half year old almost. And 
our lives evolve with them and it changes. And as they get older, I'm thinking things will be continuing to change. I watch your stories of them hiking through the mountains with you and things like that. And I think, okay, you know, we'll get through these busier, tougher stages. And then the kids will be even more active in going with us and doing things. But that's what the nature of the business and the beast is, is being able to roll with the punches, change and evolve to, to fit that work life family balance. Yeah, absolutely. Which we've talked about that a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's not always easy, um, but you, you make some, you know, changes, you pivot a little bit and you might not have the most ideal hunts, you know, you compromise a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think getting the kids out there and getting them used to being in the outdoors is all that stuff is going to help light the fire in their heart as well, hopefully. And, you know, just like you and Ethan raising the kids with the dogs and having the dogs be such um, a big part of the lives is, is really important to us. I agree. So speaking of the kids and the dogs and, and that whole dynamic, that kind of leads us into talking about GSPs and GWPs, I guess. So I want to, people ask us all the time, like I said, what's the difference or what do you think, um, you know, if I'm interested in a German short hair versus a German wire hair, what should I be considering? And people, when they ask us as German short hair breeders, I feel get one perspective. And then I feel like if they would ask a breeder like yourself, they would get a different perspective that is breeding German wire hair pointers. So I want to pretend that I'm asking you that question. What's the difference between a GSP and a German wire hair pointer? Yeah, it's more than just the addition of a beard and some eyebrows (laughs) and some coat. (laughs) Um, You know, they have, they have different genetics. So, you know, the, the German short hair pointer came from what the, the, you can help me with this, the Spanish, the Spanish pointer, some of the other bird dog breeds, the wire hair has the Griffon, the Sticklehar, um, and, and some DK, you know, some of the short hair in them. So they, they both came around that same time period of the early 1900s, but the wire hairs, um, and you can weigh in on the short hair side because I'm in the same boat as you. I can talk from kind of what I see as the short hairs coming in for training, but not having actually lived with them full time, raising them, it's it's uh, it doesn't give me you know a real answer to what they what they would be like in that sense. But the wire hairs are a very loyal, devoted. Um, I would say almost like a watchdog of sorts. They're, um, I really like hunting them more mid to late season. They, they don't do well in heat. And um, I think that's kind of the additional why I got other breeds in my life was for that reason. But they're a very vigorous, versatile, very rugged gun dog. They were, they're meant to pursue birds in the same exact manner and um, drive as they do with furred game. And the tracking, the blood work, um, all that is, is a big deal for them. I don't think that they are very forgiving as what a short hair would be. And you can correct me if I'm wrong there in your experience, but there's, they're a breed that, you know, if, when they're young, if they have a bad experience, you know, if they're not properly socialized to, you know, everything you can, 
I mean, I've even heard wire hair um, owners say it, they don't like black dogs. Really? <laughs> but it's it's just that meant of if they're not exposed and socialized out there, um, they they remember that and they just kind of are iffy about it. If they're attacked by a dog at a young age, they don't forget that. They hold a grudge for quite a while. It's difficult um, usually to get them over that. Um, uh, trainability wise, they're I think they're fantastic. They um, but they they need maybe a softer hand. You think that they're harder than than they really are. Um, yeah, I I I don't know. I guess you can help help me with the short hair side of it. So no, this is this is why I love this side of the conversation because when people ask us, I say what I you know know about short hairs, right? A lot. And then I know what we've seen in wire hairs that we get in for training. And we've seen, I mean, a fair number. I would say they're probably our second most popular breed um, to train after short hairs. Um, they're a very, I would say, widely popular breed in in general in the versatile dog owners. Um, but then I want to hear what you have to say about short hairs, just, just so that we can get that well-rounded opinion. And then I'm going to yeah. chime in a little bit on my short hair opinions and then what I feel about wire hairs and see where we mish mishmatch. Yeah. And I guess it's one of my um, really common answers of when I get that question of the difference. <laughs> and, and I'll say, and not that this, that you should ever do this, but I'll say with a short hair, you could hit them with a two by four and they're going to come back wagging their tail. If you hit a wire hair with a two by four, good luck getting that dog to come back to you. It will not be wagging its tail. <laughs> that what is, do you think? Would you no, agree? I would agree. And I say that all the time. Maybe not a two by four, but I'll be like, you can right. bon bonk them on the head with a bumper. They're jumping and they're bouncing and they've got all this energy and excitement. And I'm like, boink, you know, that Chuck E. Cheese game where you're knocking the heads on the I don't know, mice or whatever. I haven't been to Chuck E. Cheese in forever. Um, but I remember that as a game. You'd bonk them. You can bonk a short hair on the top of the head. Most short hairs are and they're like, oh, do it again. That was exciting. That was fun. I loved it. Um, yeah, the whack-a-mole. Yeah, whack-a-mole. There we go. Um, yes. And I agree. Uh, I also feel like you were saying about, you know, the wire hairs being a little more of like that protective guard doggy personality. Um, I think that short hairs could maybe with, you know, the right training, get a little more like protective. But again, I tell people short hairs are home where they're at. They don't know a stranger. They love everybody. They'd be like, welcome to my home. Let me show you where they keep the guns. And let's, let me show you where they keep, you know, the jewelry. What else would you like to see? Oh, here's the electronics and all the camera equipment. Oh, here, I will help you, you know, drag it out the front door. They're friendly. They love everybody. Mm -hmm. um, when people come meet our dogs, you know, they're just as a friendly and affectionate with their, these people that they've never met as they are with me and our family. Um, so I would say that that's something that I've seen with short hairs and applying that, what you've said to my view on wire hairs, I think that that's very true. Like, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not trying to offend, but we yes. talk about wire hairs as being a little more shifty eyed, like 
if they're uncomfortable with something they may not have been exposed to, like, oh, that black dog, I don't like black dogs, or whatever it is that they don't feel comfortable about, whether that was yeah. lack of exposure or potentially a bad experience with, they kind of give it the side eye. Like, I'm looking at this in um, not a comfortable situation and maybe being a little softer and slower about that introduction. Absolutely. And not pushing. Even though, even though wire hairs, you know, I would say have... Uh, I don't want to say harsher temperament, but like that catch and kill the fur, you know, they've been bred to be versatile in the sense of bird dogs and fur dogs. Well, Mm -hmm. just because they have that catch and kill mentality for the fur, that doesn't mean they are a harder dog and need more pressure. Like you were saying, they could be softer. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely, you know, a back and forth with, um, with furry, furry animals. I know, I know people have had a lot of success, success raising cats with their dogs, with the wire hairs. Typically you have to have the wire hair as a puppy first, you know, not bring the cat in later. Um, but yeah, you know, my first experiences, my first five years in the breed, oh, it was, it was very eye-opening. <laughs> it was very eye-opening. Um, you know, yeah, the, there'd be cats and then the neighbors would put lost cat signs on the telephone poles in the neighborhood. Um, all the bunnies, uh, a dog that we had here from England for a couple of years, I like the first week he jumped our six foot fence and came down the middle of a city road back to us with a possum in his mouth. Um, going for a hike, it's not a very leisurely stroll in the park. You, he, they bring raccoons back to you. Um, I had one, you know, chasing deer. Uh, it's so that was very eye opening. Of this is this is what we're into. This is this is a thing. Um, you you got to be tough with them. You have to be more intelligent than them. Um, but they do need a lot of structure. And like you said, with that side eye, it's very common. If they're not comfortable with something, I don't feel that they're a dog that is just going to um, perhaps like a short hair would of kind of get over it, sort out the situation mentally and wag their tail and be okay. A wire hairs, they are, they're more likely to react. I'd say that, you know, they'd be a reactive um, than what a short hair would be. Um but, and I was just talking with a friend that has wire, a wire hair and a short hair uh, the other day, and she had to take the short hair into the vet to have its ear sewn up because the short hair jumped on her bed and the wire hair wasn't okay with it. And so got into a tussle. Um, so we had a situation, you know, or a conversation about the wire hair cannot be on the bed anymore. It need they need structure. And they always go through that period between like six months and I'd say a year and a half where if you don't have a structured wire hair, you're going to have a problem. And I get calls all the time, um, not from my owners, but just a lot of wire hair people in general. And that all of a sudden the dog is 11 months old and bit the kid and is now growling at the wife. And um, I say, okay, well, do you create the dog during the day? Where is it when you're eating? Um, where was it? when that happened with the kid and the dog is 98% of the time has never been in a kennel because they're such a good dog. Um, I'm like, do you make it sit before you feed it? Do you make it sit before you let it go outside? Is there anything Does that you the tell wife the dog? make it sit? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Does not it just, respect not the just child dad. It, and the wife? Yeah. Exactly. That is, and so they need that. I think that can be part of all dog training. Um, dogs that aren't raised and developed properly can 
arise with behavioral issues for sure. Short hairs, wire hairs, anything, right? Improper raising those dogs and socializing and creating that structure and routine because they're working animals they need and they need that structure to thrive. Um, I think it can arise um, problems for other breeds, but a breed that potentially has a predisposition to have some of those uncomfortable situations or have a little more harsher temperament because let's face it, a dog that's going to go out and kill a coon, a dog that's going to go out and chase down a bunny and a possum that has a lot of prey drive in, in that breed and in those genetics. And people need to be educated and aware of what they're, what they are getting and what they're going to have in the future because Puppies are cute, man. And those beards and those furnishings are stinking adorable. And you can't just let that take you in. You just need to be aware of all of the parts that are going to be involved um, with raising and developing that breed properly and what they're going to be more geared to. And maybe it's not the right fit for you. Um, I will say you mentioned tracking. That is one thing that I wish that our short hairs would do a little bit better job at a younger, less experienced age. I mean, you can get a wire hair out, put them on their first track. And it's like, they were, they were born. They were bred to do this tracking comes so naturally to them. And you, you hardly have to teach it, especially when it's for that natural ability test. Well, I get a bunch Mm -hmm. of short hair puppies and they're very independent. They want to search. They're like not focused at a younger age to stay on that track and expand. They go, eh, break off and search, eh, break off and search. So getting them to focus more um, and stay on that track is more difficult at a young age. The more experience that they get with hunting, whether that's, you know, from a bird hunting standpoint and tracking wounded birds, or if people are utilizing them for deer trailing and blood trailing and things like that, they will get better at use of nose and focus and staying on that track. But it takes more experience and exposure in general from like a natural ability standpoint, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And we tell our wire hair owners, don't do the track more than two times, three tops. If they have it, they have it. They're not going to forget it. Don't overtrain it. Um, and it is different with, with other breeds that we get in where you're, you're teaching them to stay on the track. So, and you're starting really short tracks so that they have success Mm -hmm. quickly. So they don't get bored, lose focus, break off and search. I train tracks for different breeds completely differently. It's not like, oh, well, this is, this is the method to train the track. And again, like you were saying, doing it like two or three times because you would probably feel like a dog that overdoes their tracking may lack a little in the pointing department then. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mm-hmm. opposite for us, if I um, don't do enough tracks, I'm going to blow the track. And I have I have so many young short hairs that come up to that pheasant pile, that feather pile, and just point that feather pile and just solid they are not moving, quivering. I am on point. I am not moving. And it's like, well, you're going to have to move because the bird is not there. And, you know, you have to be really encouraging. And it takes a lot of opportunities and exposure, much more than two or three. Um, You know, every once in a while you get an outlier that tracks really well right off the bat. And we do less then. But um, a lot of times we have to do many more than three or four to get the desired outcome um, of them learning how to use their nose and track. And that is a huge difference, I would say, between the two breeds um, that people aren't always aware of. Yeah. 
and, and you touched on the other part of it too, Kat, with the pointing. I think, um, you know, the pointing comes real, like short hairs are nearly born just to come out and point. And sometimes with wire hairs, that track is such a foundation in there that you have to work a little bit more to get that point out in them. So. Agreed. Especially because they have that, I call it that level of prey drive, whether it's to track that prey, to catch and kill that prey, those wire hairs want to move in on that bird and get it. Not mm-hmm. that passive response of I'm going to point it, then dad's going to come in or mom's going to come in and flush it and shoot it. And then I'm going to get it. I'm just going to take out that middle step and just get it. Um, and <laughs> we do have to do typically a little more um, timing of the launch of the bird, potentially even move into woe training to be like, hey, look, this is the part that you're missing. Put these pieces together. Then we've got that pointing down. And then they're like, oh, okay, I can point it first. Got it. Um, and it's just teaching them that, um, I would say short hairs are very bird doggy, um, pointing very naturally, backing pretty naturally, especially if they have exposure and opportunities to learn what backing is from a pretty young age. Whereas those wire hairs typically need a little more understanding of pointing and backing. Usually, um, they can be a little greedier, uh, and want, want the point for themselves. Yeah. And to be closer I on that you on point over there, but mm, I'm just going to go get my own over here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I'm very glad that we have seen a lot of the same things. Um, it makes me feel a lot more confident with my opinion of when people ask me, what's the difference that I'm not just saying, well, this is what I know of short hairs. And this is the small piece that I've seen out of wire hairs because we get fewer, um, One of the things that I want to specifically hit on is when people ask you about the wire hairs in general, the temperament of wire hairs, what would you tell them about, especially dogs that you're breeding? Yeah. um, With with the wire hairs, I feel like they have the ultimate on-off switch where in the house, they're happy to lay on their dog bed or on the couch, wherever it is you prefer um, that they be, and um, just a really good house dog, calm in the house. And in the field, I feel like they turn it on. Um, and, and perhaps you can correct me if I'm wrong, but on the short hair version, uh, in, in my experience that we've just had here with them training, I feel like they're kind of always on um, and, and kind of explain them in more of a hyper mode breed. Would you agree or disagree with that? So one thing that I can't truly speak to very much is like what the wire hairs, especially the wires hairs that come in for training would be like in the house because our facility is set up in the kennel. So all of the dogs that come in for training are kept in our facility, which is an indoor only climate controlled facility, but it's not in our house with our furniture and our, our family and all of that. So I don't know what they would be like bringing them in the house. I know our short hairs that we, again, specifically breed, we breed for that on-off switch because um, we actually own 14 short hairs and usually have five or six of them in the house at the same time. An older dog that's like 16, Grandpa Rex, and then some of the younger dogs um, down to some of our puppies that are like five months old right now. Um And so they have to be able to settle down. I can't have them ping-ponging off the walls. And um, so we've bred for that more even temperament in the house. Um, Having that on-off switch, they definitely turn it on in the field and can turn it off in the house, um, especially with the combination of some obedience training 
but they are working breeds. So when I say they have an on-off switch, they're not just going to be a couch potato three months in a row and be okay with it. They need to get out and they need to work as well. Otherwise, they're going to get a little bit more stir crazy. That energy is going to bubble up eventually and need an outlet. Um, so they need to be able to do something. But I will have, you know, especially when some of our puppies get older and I've got four or five short hairs in the house that are all what I consider mature, they're just lounging all over the place, whether that's on the floor, sunning, on a dog bed, on the couch. And I haven't placed them. I haven't said, go kennel. They just are in the house hanging out. If I go to the kitchen, they're going to trail me in there, see what I'm doing. Because I would say that they have FOMO. Um, They're not really going to want to just go hang out somewhere without me. Um, If I'm going to do laundry, I've got five short hairs typically, other than grandpa who just sleeps on the couch all day anyway, anymore, Um, trailing me to the laundry room, then trailing me to the bedroom to fold. And they're just following um, because they don't like to be left out. When I go to the office, I've got one curled up under the the desk with me, a couple on the sides. Um, And if there's not enough room in the space that I'm at, one will eventually wander off and maybe go find a place to curl up. But they do want to be a part of that activity. Um, But I would say when we have the dogs in the kennel, um, some of them have a good off switch and they'll curl up and they'll settle down in their kennel space even. But there is always so much more activity going on in the kennel. It's hard to get a good read on what some of the other dogs, short hairs, even the Vishlas and wire hairs and Weimariners would truly have in that constant state of activity. Um, so if I brought them in the house, I might see a different personality come out with some of those dogs. But for our dogs and our breeding program, we have bred for that on off because if I can't live with them and I can't have them part of our pack of 14 that mix and match and who gets along with who they're not going to make that cut. They're going to get moved on for being too busybody and, and not having a good enough off switch. Um, but go ahead, go ahead. You know, as I said, and you touched on something also really important there too, is I think with short hairs, you can put 14 of them together and really not have any issues. And, um, with wire hairs, that's not going to be typical. And, and the changing dynamic, because mm-hmm. I rotate those dogs. Sometimes Vex will be in with Nyx and Thunder, so all of our males. And then sometimes Vex will be in with some of our girls. And then, which is one of, I mentioned Vex because he's one of our main stud dogs, mature, um, you know, set in his ways, if you will. And he will deal with the puppies playing with him. He actually likes to play with them um, and gets along just with whatever that dynamic is. Um, and then I switch it up and I'm like, okay, Muddy, you're in the house right now with the puppies and quest and you know one of our older dogs and they just can they can alternate who they get along with at the you know snap of the finger it's not a settle in period it's not um nope i don't get along with you so i can't be in the house at the same time as you um we have that pack dynamic which is important and again that's something that we breed for and make hard decisions on if i have somebody that i can't add to my pack Um, they don't make the cut and we move them on as a trained dog, either into a single family home or, you know, just a a second dog home where they can get used to each other and then just be okay. Because I want to continue breeding with that on off switch that can get along and loves everybody. You know, that really, like you said, kind of that stereotypical, super friendly, short hair mentality. Um, and 
with short hairs specifically becoming so popular, um, everywhere you look now is a short hair, whether they're being utilized for hunting or just family outdoor activities, um, they're becoming very popular. And my concern with the popularity is that we're just having breeders or people that think they're breeders making more puppies, more puppies, more puppies for this demand yeah. of the short hair. And they're not breeding for the right characteristics. And we're going to start seeing things popping up where you're getting temperaments that they are unsure and alarm bark everything because they're not mentally stable. Or you're going to get the the short hairs that don't get along with any other dogs. And you've got then aggressive short hairs. Um, or you're going to get short hairs that can't settle down. And all they do is ping pong off the walls in your house and destroy your stuff because they're just wild and wired. Um, so I want to make sure that, you know, if somebody's looking at getting a German wire hair or they're looking at getting a German short hair, that they're interviewing the breeder that they're choosing to make sure that that's a true fit, whether it's the personality they're looking for, the temperament, the trainability, and ultimately what they're going to be doing with that dog, what their purpose is. If you're going to do a lot of fur and trailing and tracking, you might want to look at getting a wire hair versus a short hair. If you're going to be mostly in the upland field and you want to point back all day long, you might want to look at getting a short hair. Um, so those are things that you can decide, but picking your right breeder is going to be a big part of either of those decisions. Yeah. And meeting the dogs, meeting the dogs is a big thing too. If you can, if you have the ability to meet the sire and the dam of your potential litter you're interested in and any, typically a breeder is going to have other dogs there that they're all related to. So you can see what the temperaments are like. And, um, you know, I think going back into how our breeding program has changed, it's very similar where when we first started, um, I had, you know, I got in the middle of a dog fight with two wire hairs and it was terrible. But that one line is one that we kind of put a, you know, end to and we're not there anymore. And now we can comfortably run, you know, 10 dogs together and, and there's no issues, but it's, it's making those priorities. And like you said, those very difficult decisions of who stays and who goes, because, you know, I've had to say goodbye to some really outstanding dogs because of it. And the time, I mean, you don't necessarily make those decisions. Like you were saying, um, when you guys keep litter mates, even at this point, you're making a decision at a year. Well, a year is a long time of training and developing and creating that bond um, with that dog. And then at a year, making a tough decision. Well, let's say you're still evaluating to that two-year mark from a breeding standpoint, and you're going, now I've invested two years and two wash that dog out and keep another dog that then you develop for another two years. You've just invested four years of time for the next dog for the program, whether that's a male or a female. And that takes a long time. Right. Yeah. And it is a hard decision. And, um, you know, and we've had situations where we've had to move dogs along from fertility issues. You know, I've got a dog that I've bred and bred and she comes up open and open and open, or she finally had a three puppy litter. And then I say, I can't keep doing this. Um, it's, it's obviously something is going on. And then she was spayed and she actually only had one ovary and one, um, you know, uterine horn. So that was a big part of why she was having fertility issues. And I struggled. That was probably one of my hardest goodbyes was, you know, she's young. I can't just keep 
her holding a spot. We have 14 short hairs, right? So adding one that um, is so young, but doesn't truly have a purpose from a breeding standpoint, um, when that is part of our business is a difficult decision. And obviously we made sure she had the right home and a great home. And I do um, luckily get to see her pretty much every year for tune-ups. And Ethan gets to hunt with her because the owner um, hunts with him pretty frequently a couple times a year. So I get to still see that little girl every once in a while. And she's not a little girl anymore. She's getting old and gray in the face. And then you, you see them age and you're like, well, I'm glad you've got a good home and I do miss you. Exactly. Um, yep. But it's, it's those yep. hard decisions you make. It is. Yeah. We had, we had a female, um, I put a show champion on her. My husband put a master hunter and a utility prize too. Um, and she had two teeth that were off that, that were, butt. you know, just two of them were, I would call misaligned their butt bite. They're not, it wasn't a perfect scissors bite. And we also put those same um, accomplishments on her litter mate, except for it was a UT one. And when it came down to it, you just, we made a decision of, you know, let's not keep and breed the one that has two teeth off when her litter mate is perfect. Has a perfect um, scissor bite. And yeah, but you, yeah, you go through all that, you know, the time and the investment, the love, um, but knowing that she can be a priority on somebody else's couch rather than, you know, in the mix of 10 dogs sharing the love that, that makes me feel good. And that makes me feel settled with the decision too. And that is a very good point. You know, we have 14 short hairs, but they get divided time. Um, we luckily have a kennel, um, that has amazing staff. Uh, we have six other full-time employees that train and care for the dogs. So those dogs are getting a fair dose, um, even when they are in the kennel of that extra time and attention, but they do have to share and, um, you know, they get less than a single family dog home, which is why, um, this leads me into another kind of segue topic, but I think it's something that I'd like to hear your opinion on either way. When I have, um, litters of puppies, you know, let's say it's an eight puppy litter. That's a pretty average size litter. Um, and people say, well, why aren't you keeping those puppies until 12 weeks old? I've read all of this, uh, documentation saying that 12 weeks is a great age to keep the puppies to. You shouldn't be sending them home any earlier than that. And I'm like, well, we're sending them home at eight weeks, which is by law in Kansas, um, when we have to keep them till, but from eight to 12 weeks, that's another month. And that is a huge development stage where those puppies need more one-on-one -on -one time and training and starting the socializing and development that you can't do with a pack of eight puppies. You can't right. divide that time out. And it's, it's a very similar, um, correlation between how many dogs we have. The biggest difference is they're not all the same age and in the same development stage needing the same type of socialization, training and development. But, um, once they get kind of to that point, they're, they're easy. They just get to be in condition, stay in the house, get loved on and go hunting. Um, and yeah. they take a little less work on the training side at that point, just the main maintenance. But, um, what, yeah. what age do you send your guys as puppies home at? Yeah, it's eight weeks as well. And I don't know if it's different in short hair litters, but I feel like at that six to seven weeks, wire hair puppies, you know, they're, they're putting their dominance roles on. And then the other ones, um, you know, are maybe more inferior and I don't want them developed that way. I don't want, you know, I, I think if they can get into the owner's hands where they can really focus on 
whether it's teaching that alpha, you know, puppy that you're not going to be alpha here in our house and, and that more, you know, maybe timid puppy to help build confidence in it. Um, that's so important to get, getting them out at eight weeks old and, and being taught that right away, rather than living in this pack where they're being molded for even longer in, um, in that, because that's, that's not what I would want. Cause I think that's going to stick with them more throughout their life than they would when we send them home at eight weeks and have that, you know, and that's, and that's how we place puppies as well. I'm sure you guys do too, of knowing the experience of, of your puppy buyers, what they can and cannot do. And you're not going to place that, you know, more alpha puppy into a novice's hands. It's, that's a bad match. And and they're, you're going to get a call in nine months anyways of something happened and you need to take it back. (laughs) Yeah, I want everyone to be happy and I don't want to have to get those puppies back at a later age because they weren't a good fit. They weren't the right dog. Um, And that's exactly what we start seeing. Usually around that seven week mark is they're starting to try and establish that pack dominance within the litter. And we step in when we see it, but we are not there eyes on 24 seven, you know, and they're creating that pack dominance in all aspects of things when it comes to toys and food and water and potty breaks and crate space and laying on the dog bed that we give them in their, in their puppy area. Um, so stepping in when we can, but the longer that those pack rolls and that dominance of some of those puppies is exerted. So if they're from seven weeks to 12 weeks, you know, that's five weeks of that being ingrained in them, it is going to be a lot harder to overcome. And then they're going to come into their new home where there might be other dogs, whether they're little dogs or bigger dogs, and they're going to try that that roll out, especially the dominant ones on their new housemates that that might not fly. And then you've got behavioral issues. You're coming, you're coming back to the breeder with going, what do I do? Um, so I, I was interested to see what your guys's take on that was. Cause I did know you, you bred and had litters that you guys sent home too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, weeks. I would like to, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. They're a little pack of piranhas. It's I'm ready. They're ready. All of us are ready. Um, The thing that I like that you said is you get people that call you that have wire hairs that aren't necessarily from your breeding program, not necessarily a puppy buyer of yours, but they have a question. They have an issue that arose that they're reaching out to you as an authority because you guys breed wire hairs, train wire hairs, hunt behind wire hairs. Um, And we get the same thing. We get a lot of people, whether we've bred the puppies or not, that reach back out to us or contact us. Hey, tell me what to do. And it's within other breeds as well. But yes, primarily short hairs. Um, And when I get short hairs in for training, I do train other short hairs than what are just from our breeding program. And they don't even train the same as our short hairs. We've, you know, developed our breeding program to produce dogs that we enjoy living with, hunting behind and training because they don't all train the same either. Um, You, you kind of have a spectrum and we have put our dogs and our program towards the spectrum we prefer, which is more of a bird dog. Um, We primarily upland hunt, less waterfall hunting, and I don't do anything with fur. Other than a little bit of deer trailing, blood trailing um, for game recovery. And then, um, you know, when I get a wire hair in, it might be a wire hair from this breeder and then a 
different wire hair from that breeder. So I'm not even comparing apples to apples 100%. I'm comparing an apple to a banana. And then I'm trying to make a generalization opinion on what those, those wire hairs are overall. But you can still pull out some of those key traits that, like you talked about, um, that you can share with people. And I'm sure that's what you see when you get a few short hairs to work with. They're maybe not all from the yeah. same breeding program or they have different genetics and backgrounds. So you're kind of saying, well, this is kind of the overall picture. And then when you talk right. about wire hairs and what you're familiar with and what you and your husband have worked your breeding program to be towards, I'm sure you've made choices on what you want to breed because of what you like to do with your short hair or your wire hairs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is, you know, it's worth mentioning too, that while we're talking short hairs versus wire hairs, there's so much variety within each breed. And, and even though I said, you know, wire hairs can be more protective. Somebody comes to the house, not going to let them in. I think I have probably five out of eight of my wire hairs here would be like, Hey, just like the short hair, welcome to my house. Come on in. What can I get you? (laughs) So it's, and that's, and that's because too, um, you know, we have small children and, and we have, our children have been taught to respect the dogs just the same as the dogs have been taught to, you know, respect the children and they, the children are their owners, their masters as well. So, Um, but it's, I don't want a dog that can be sharp or not handle a situation and turn around and bite. I, we don't have that anymore. We haven't had that for quite a while. Um, but we did at the beginning and we, we have ended a couple different routes in our breeding programs just specifically for those reasons. And we've had to kind of, you know, restart in, um, different things that we want. And I still feel like we're piecing together here and there where, um, characteristics that we want and ones that we don't want. And that is what ethical breeders are, are doing. They're not turning a blind eye to specific traits just because we've worked so hard and we've invested so much time and money into training these dogs. Let's just keep breeding them because we've, we've worked so hard and right. That's not something you want to continue, especially like you said, with your, your children and and your menagerie of all your other animals. I mean, you know, you don't want little piggies and goats being caught and killed and, or at least yet, not until they're (laughs) breakfast, but, um, (laughs) yeah, we have though. Unfortunately we have. (laughs) Okay. I mean, and yeah, we get, yeah, they are hunting breeds. I mean, we can't, we can't fault them 100% for that, but again, you are trying to, move your breeding program and choosing selectively the dogs that you're continuing to breed for those traits, just like we do with our short hairs, you know, because even short hairs can have harsher temperaments, some of them and more aggressive tendencies where they can't get along with other dogs out in the field. Well, I can't have dogs fighting at the line, leaving, you know, at AKC hunt tests, or you could get disqualified. And that is just a matter of selectively breeding then away from those traits. So yeah, th- absolutely. That's very good point. Um, yeah. so you mentioned that you don't really do training, but I would say I've seen you take a whole bunch of dogs to shows and that is still training. I mean, it may not be the yeah. hunting training that maybe William's been doing for AKC tests and NAVDA tests. Um, but it's a different venue of training, um, that you've been very successful in and have traveled all over the world even to go to some of these mm-hmm 
shows and these competitions and events that the dogs have to be very well trained. I don't have, I have zero experience in the show world. So, um, I can only imagine what it would take to get a dog to focus and, you know, do what they're supposed to do and perform well at what they're supposed to do to compete with these other dogs in a show ring of other dogs and a million people and all the distractions. I've, I've seen Ethan stack puppies. I think you guys, <laughs> I think you guys are doing pretty well there. I tell you, you yogurt know, and peanut really... butter, man, is a great bait. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to stack a puppy though, man. He could be showing at the Westminster of Westminster shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put that on our, um, you know, our bucket list of when the kids are a little less of a handful, maybe. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with the, with the, um, the confirmation side of it, uh, I, I started out doing it quite a bit and, uh, my interests now have, have shifted, um, almost, almost a hundred percent from, from where we were to where we are now, because, you know, again, having the busy schedule, um, traveling for work, doing all the things, if I have a free weekend, we don't have um, confirmation shows here in Montana that are an hour to get to like we did in Wisconsin. Everything was an hour away. And so here it's an eight hour drive. And if, if I'm going to have a weekend off to do something, um, you know, it's not going to be at a dog show anymore because I'm at those for work. So <laughs> that would be, that would be a lot. Um, but we haven't lost that importance of proper structure in our breeding program. Um, I think William might just disagree with that a little bit. And probably the reason why we always keep two puppies from each litter, because I always want the one that is um, best put together. I think structure is going to be one of the most difficult things to fix later on. And, um, but he really likes to see that innate ability come through and, so he'll keep that puppy. And then we decided a year old, which one is better. <laughs> no pressure. And, right. right. Um, it helps that he's been putting a little bit more emphasis on his puppy that he chooses throughout that year. But um, <laughs> <laughs> training wise. But yeah, um, you know, with, with the with the dog show stuff, it is there's there's training that's involved with it. They, um, you know, a wire hair they're a breed in the standard. It's meant, they're meant to be aloof, but very, um, even reliable temperament. So they can't be shying away from a judge, afraid to be touched. Um, and, and having their, you know, mouth looked at, having their mouth opened and they, they need to stand there and be confident and happy. And unfortunately, a lot of times you will see, you know, some of that shyness or, um, even dog wire hairs that try to bite judges. So it's unfortunate, but it's, it's all part of that, um, you know, genetics and also putting in the training and, and having a dog that can go to an event and, and do it. Even if they're not the best one of the day, at least they're there and they were a good dog. And that is an amazing amount of exposure and continued socialization and putting those dogs in those situations where they have to, like you said, perform well, um, you know, be handled by another person that's not mom and dad. Um, and even though we don't show, but through Navda, they're always checking coats, teeth, um, eyes, and then also, you know, the, the running gear, we like to call it, the males checking, you know, to make sure that both testicles are there. 
and dogs have to be okay being handled. And if they aren't, that gets marked down. Um, definitely don't want dogs biting or growling at judges or shying away. Um, so keeping those temperament things in mind when we're looking at puppies for our breeding program, it's a great opportunity to see how they're reacting to those environments and those other handlers. Um, and from a show side of things, so we've never showed our dogs. Um, but I believe that there is an importance in confirmation, um, structurally put together. And then when I look back at our puppy pictures, cause we've taken those stacked puppy pictures since the beginning. And if I go back, cause we've almost been doing this breeding for ourselves for 10 years now. And I look back at those pictures from 10 years ago, it's cringy. I mean, we look at those puppies and yes, we didn't 100% know how to get a nice stack, but also the puppies did not look the same. And we've tried to move in the direction of having better confirmation, having puppies that stack easier, um, puppies that are more comfortable getting in those positions. Um, that just means that their bodies are made to get into those positions easier. You're not forcing them to, to conform. Um, and that is important because form is important for function. You don't have joints and things breaking down in the field because they're working so hard because their bodies aren't put together. Right. Um, so, Again, even if you're not showing as much, you still have an eye for what you're looking for and to keep your program in that direction. Um, and I also understand like being in the middle of nowhere, which we used to be in Northwest Kansas, it was forever of a drive to get anywhere. Whether I was looking for duck search waters, waters to train for the blind at the invitational, I was driving lots and lots of hours, one way for one dog. It's a big commitment um, to be able to do that. And it can turn something that you love and enjoy into way more work than it should be. And once it starts becoming something that you don't enjoy, um, you're not putting your full effort and passion behind it. Um, and you, you need that energy to do well because those dogs can sense right down that leash, um, right through your voice, mm-hmm. If you're not happy to be there, why are they going to be happy to be there? Um, so right. just being very honest and aware of what you want to do and which direction your guys's program and the time is, because you told me we were trying to schedule this podcast and you were talking about shooting lessons um, and you had shooting mm-hmm. lessons scheduled and they were like four hours away or something like that. It was, yeah. it was crazy. <laughs> and so you think you're committing to doing that because that is something that you are really passionate about and enjoy and get more out of. It's not work for you to go get to do those things. So you're willing to spend the time on those things. And that's, that's for everyone. Um, you find what you love, what you want to work on. Um, and you put your time into that and that's what improves. Right. Yeah. It's that, um, I think whatever it is that you're doing and you're interested and you're passionate about do it. I mean, even with the shows before I started showing, I went to confirmation lessons So there's local kennel clubs that have, you know, you can do drop-in lessons or do an eight-week session and you learn how to show your dog. Because if you're going to go into something, you know, whether it's dog shows or NAVDA or even just hunting in general, go go learn more about the entire sport, how you can be better at it. Um, And yeah, that's the shooting lessons. It's something I'm doing this year I haven't done before of just investing in myself and um, becoming better. You know, we spend the year training the dogs and there's nothing, 
worst feeling when your dog puts on an amazing performance out there for you, sticks that bird and you miss that, you miss that shot. And it, it's awful. It's a terrible feeling. Um, and it, it like, I've broke down crying over it before of just, I'm so sorry to my dog for missing that bird. Um, after, you know, that great work he just did in. So yeah, I think, I think whatever you're passionate about, get into it, educate, you know, knowledge, knowledge is power and it helps you enjoy it and understand it a little bit better. No, that is 100% true. I almost started crying with your story because it is a, a feeling of disappointment for your dog because they did, you've worked to train them to do all these things. They go out, they do it. And there's maybe not a hundred other opportunities for them because bird numbers are down or you just don't have as many opportunities to get out. And then the opportunity that you have to seal the deal for them, for them to put all the pieces together and it doesn't happen. And, um, yeah, so improving yourself to better your dogs because birds make a bird dog and they need the whole package. That's really awesome that you recognize that I am not a 100% a shot. I have shot a lot. I've never taken shooting lessons. So that's actually really interesting to me. Um, I've just been a instinctual shooter when it comes to shotgunning, pistol, archery, rifle. I've always just had a fairly innate ability to it, but I'm also interested to see how much better could I be if I actually took a lesson, right? Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it's eye-opening. I learned a lot um, just in my first session. I'm going to be going once a month um, here until season starts. But, you know, people, when I've interviewed people on my podcast before that are shooting instructors, um, they'll say that phrase. And my husband's even told me before that he says he looks a bird in the eyes before he pulls the trigger. I'm like, how do you look a bird in the eye? I I don't understand that. And um, so being taught... Uh, in my shooting lesson, you know, when you're looking at the clay targets of specific points on that target that you should actually look at and you're looking beyond the barrel, you're focusing right on that um, certain placement, it made a difference. I, I I started out the day shooting at probably like 50%. And then after a couple hours, I was like 90, 95% on every pigeon or every clay that was being tossed. And just having that understanding is, it's huge. And Something those I are the thought about things before. that you don't think about before. So that's right. really awesome. I'm now interested in looking into some yeah. options for shooting lessons in our area too, just because I wouldn't mind being that 90, 95% of uh, shots, right? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but then you have to add in the anxiety of a bird coming up and, oh, and you know, all, all the, the things, things. not being said and like yeah, the right. potential unpredictable <laughs> terrain and all that. Yeah. But, um, still, yeah. The it's more a start. You, the more you can uh, edge your bet, the better, right? And mm-hmm. you're doing that. So that's awesome. Um, and I think... Yeah. I saw on a a story that you were taking the kids with, or maybe one of the kids with for your. Yeah. Yeah. Bert came with me, my seven-year-old and my instructor. So uh, Tracy Wright, he's dark horse shooting in Spokane, Washington, and he's amazing. Um, I've had him do a couple shooting clinics for me before, and he's going to be our instructor at our women's grouse camp um, in this September super amazing. And Burke, you know, I'm sure as an instructor seeing a child show up, he's probably like, oh, great. You know, we're going to have to babysit this kid all during the shooting instruction. He's going to be, and, but, um, 
he's a, he's such a good kid and he always just wants to help. Um, hearing his perspective on things is just, I love and I adore. And that whole time at, at those lessons for four hours, all he wanted to do was push those buttons every time I yelled pull. And, you know, whether it was a report or a true pair, he, as long as he was told what it was by the instructor and, and yeah, Tracy's like, he needs to come back every time. And, um, and throughout the lessons, he'd be like, mom, the one coming from the left, don't re- for- or don't forget that. That one's you want to shoot that one at four o'clock, and the one coming over from the top on the right, seven o'clock. Now, don't forget that. So he would, he would he's keep like your mini coach. I love it. <laughs> he is. He, it was so great, and I loved having them there. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's spring break this week, so that's why he was able to come. Um, and unfortunately, he probably won't be able to. Well, maybe through the summer months, he could. But yeah. yeah, I love doing everything. Anything I can get my kids into, um, you know, it, the better. I, I love having them there and and having him kind of soak in that stuff. And, you know, man, to be able to go to lessons one day and have him there with me shooting. Now that is going to be awesome. Yeah. Goosebumps. Like I'm, yeah. I'm excited for that as yeah. well with our boys and hopefully through exposure of them coming along and showing them how much we love it and showing our appreciation. Like he was being super helpful. It sounds like at the, the shooting class and listening and learning. And I feel like they're just little sponges. They learn better. Children learn better than adults. They Mm. just do. When we have clients come out to pick up their dogs from a training program and their family comes, the kids listen to what we say needs to be done and how the dog needs to be handled so much better than the adults, 90% yeah. of the time. And um, so him coming along, he's going to soak all that up. He's going to know exactly what the true pairs are and the reports <laughs> and where, which one you need to shoot first and all of yes. that. And that's just going to make him better when it's his turn and he's going right. to get mom's butt. Oh, I know. I can't wait for that. And yeah, even when, you know, I can just imagine um, when we're practicing here at home, he'll, because even during lessons, he's like, mom, soft hands, soft hands. And <laughs> because it looks like you're holding your barrel too tight, mom, loosen up. That's <laughs> just, awesome. And then he's so remembering good. you, uh, mm-hmm. remembering and reminding you that's really cool. And our children, lo- well, Cade's still pretty young. Uh, he likes to tag along and go everywhere. He has FOMO. If we walk out of the room without him, he isn't a happy camper about it. He wants to come with. Um, but Aiden loves to help with everything, throwing pigeons, um, you know, pushing the buttons. If there's buttons to push, he wants to learn on the, the mule. What's that button do? What's that button do? What's that button do? And I tell him, I explain, I instruct, I teach because he's going to be driving that mule pretty darn soon. Um, at least down the driveway to haul garbage out or something, but, um, they do. They just soak it all up. They want to learn. And the more that you actually involve them and take the time to teach and not just, oh, it's just another button. Just don't push that. Don't push that button. But taking the time to actually teach them, they're going to soak that information up and they're going to want to be involved instead of going, well, this is boring. I get told, don't touch that. Don't do that. Quiet down. Um, They're going to want to be with us and learn because we're not telling them, don't touch that. Just be quiet don't help. They want to be involved. So that's what we're hoping. Just the exposure, getting to bring them along, that they'll enjoy it themselves. I'm not going to push. I'm just going to show them that it's awesome. And then hopefully they'll want to enjoy that as well. So we talked a lot about Burke, um, but you have a little girl, Brooke, right? 
and uh, Blair. Blair. Why did I? Th- I knew it was two B's. So Blair. Yeah. And she's Blair. four, and she is fearless. Does everything. <laughs> helps train. Holds birds. All the things. Um, tell me a little bit about where you see her in your guys's family and what she likes to do um, with the animals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew when she was four months old that she was special. (laughs) She's, she's a confident, you said it, fearless. She's a fierce little girl and I love every piece of it. And, and, you know, we, we let her be her wild self. Um, We keep her in check. She definitely spends enough time in a corner in her timeouts when she gets a little out of order, but she, she falls down and she bounces right back up. You're like, anybody see me type of thing? And nope. Okay. Go like rushes herself off and keeps going. Um, I wish she would have a little bit more fear in her, to be honest. Um, the way she can just hop on a horse and, and do her thing or, um, you know, chase down chickens and stuff. She did get bit by a pig yesterday, so that might hold her back a little bit. Or not. <laughs> but, I mean, you never yeah. know how they're going to react to those experiences. <laughs> I know. We'll see. But she, um, she heard our rooster. We have one rooster. Uh, he, he went after her, you know, he really kind of picked her out of like, this is the little one. And so he went after her and it took, I think twice until she started going back and kicking him. Um, and so the rooster doesn't mess with the four-year-olds anymore. That's awesome. But yeah, but no, she's great. I love her. I love her love for animals. Um, when we had baby chicks last year I caught her laying in bed she had taken two of them out of um out of the little area we had she took two of them and laid in bed with them in, hoping in that her bed find her in her bed oh gosh <laughs> yes. yeah uh, but she's great you know she she goes hunting with me a lot she I love like she'll wake up at 5 a.m in the morning and she'll whisper in my ear mom let's go hunting today and, um, you know, she, she can't keep up very well. So she goes in the backpack. I put ear protection on her and, um, there's been a couple of times she'll fall asleep, but she'll wake up with a, you know, the sound of a shotgun and she'll go, did you get it? Did you get it? And then she always wants to hold it right away and see what it looks like. And she digs into the crops and studies what they ate. And, um, man, I just, I love her desire to just learn as well, because I'm a, I'm a big lifelong learner myself. I'm, I geek out over suits, you know, a lot of stuff. And I see a lot of that in her. Um, it's, it's cool. And I, I hope that she will kind of take her place in her role one day. Um, you know, whether, I don't know whether <laughs> what, what I saw a meme once, like whether she's leading a pack in prison or, or the CEO <laughs> of a company, she's going to be doing something great. <laughs> she uh, definitely sounds like she is very interested and invested, even from a young age in all of the things that you and take her with and involve her with. Um, and that's really yeah. awesome and exciting. Our little boy, Aiden, is very similar. He wants to go with and help Ethan with the pigeons and giving them. He knows how many scoops of grit they get. He knows how many scoops of food they get. He counts it out. He wants to be helping with all of that and with the puppies. Um, they will knock him down 100 times and he will go back for more 101. 
Um, he just, right. he, you know, it doesn't phase him. He may start crying one of those times that he gets a paw in the face. Um, but then he brushes himself off and is right back at having him chase him again. And, um, yeah, and he, he loves it. You know, he'll throw pigeons with them and the first pigeon might startle him and he screeches a little bit and then he, he wants to throw another one. Um, mm-hmm. and he rides along in that pack when we go hunting at times as well. Um, cause his heart's in it, but his little legs just can't quite keep up yet. And definitely hoping for Cade, who is not even a year yet. Um, but hopefully when he starts walking and toddling around, he's going to want to go and do all of those things as well. Um, he definitely likes animals. He's comfortable around them and goes and pats on the dogs. Um, but he's not able to be as involved yet, but um, is yeah. is definitely not afraid of the dogs in one it one little bit. So. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's definitely fun to have them involved. And I think, you know, having the kids, it relit our fire in a lot of ways um, in hunting and the dogs and in, in just wanting to do more and be better. You know, we're more into the conservation aspect of it now, just knowing that we want it there for our kids one day um, and, and, and their kids. So it's, it kind of all comes full effect and reliving kind of the, you know, if, if I had grown up hunting and with dogs, um, how maybe I would have have liked it to be to start off sooner and, you know, start shooting sporting clays at a younger age and, and being a really good shot when I got to be this age. Yeah. And <laughs> be great. I, I see what you're saying, like having them involved because I hunted, but not with dogs at a younger age, but just like having that opportunity at a younger age, like and doing it right, it's exciting to think how much further they're going to take these things than we do. You know, the next generation that has been shown how amazing it can be could take it to the next level with training and hunting and conservation and shooting. Um, and that's exciting. We, we should all always be striving to do better um, for the next generation, um, for ourselves as much as we can. Um, but I, I feel like I've got a ceiling, you know, I've, I'm going to get old one of these days. Um, not yet, but then, then that next generation can come up and pick up where we left off and, and carry that torch a little bit further. So that's, that's awesome and exciting to think about. Mm -hmm. So how many dogs do you guys have? We're not going to get into all your animals because you have a, basically (laughs) a mini petting zoo at your house, but we do, we do. Yeah. We have, um, 10 dogs of our own. So, uh, let's see, seven of them are German wire pointers, although only two are under the age of seven. (laughs) We have, we have a lot of senior dogs right now, um, which is fun. You know, it's just, they, we have a 13 year old, so he gets out hunting once in a while. Um, but the, the nine-year-old, eight-year-olds, and then seven-year-olds, um, they're still going hard. They're, they're great. But, um, we, when we moved from Wisconsin to here, we went through a period where we just didn't um, breed dogs. We didn't have time with, with the moving. And then we had um, a tough role of infertility um, with, with a couple of them. So yeah, we're kind of building back up. We just uh, bred one of our wire hairs here uh, a couple of days ago. So we'll see if, if she takes. Um, but then we have two Brocco Italianos and uh, our recent, most recent addition is a Cocker Spaniel, a little field bred Cocker. 
Awesome. So congratulations on your hopefully upcoming litter. That's always exciting. Love puppies. And then your kids will get to be a little involved with this litter too, because it sounds like it's been a while since you've had a litter. So that should be really a new option, especially with Blair being younger, um, to remember some of the, the litter stuff if she hasn't been involved. So she'll, she'll be excited because I know Aiden loves helping with the puppy side of things. But it is easy Absolutely. when they get older, when the dogs are older. You said you've got, you don't have any under seven. Um, it's like, I oh. have two. Yeah. Okay. Two yeah. Well, I have two. I have two two-year-olds. Yeah. Okay. There'll be two here in the next couple months. So yeah, that, and they're both from um, our last litter. So yeah, it's been, it's been two years since we've had puppies, I guess. Um, but yeah, the kids, you know, they're such great little socializers and, uh, that you can't ask for more than that of the loud sounds that kids make and can't be contained. Um, you know, <laughs> right. And it just running them around the yard with the puppies chasing them. It's so many good things that you just think, man, these are some really well-rounded puppies by the time they leave our house. <laughs> yep. There's not much they haven't seen or heard or been exposed to. <laughs> Right. And it's cool that even some of the puppies we've bred, um, when they come back for training, they recognize our kids in a heartbeat. They, you know, their, their tails are wagging and you can just tell like, oh, that's my Burke. And, um, I remember him <laughs> type of thing. It's, it's cute. And the, and the kids that's enjoyed really it as well. So with the two Brocco Italianos that you have, are, why because they are very different than the wire <laughs> yeah. hairs. Um, yeah. Why were you interested in them? Why? What brought you into them? Um, I saw my first one. Um, I was actually at a show out in California um, back in 2000. And, ooh, I'm going to let me think. What was it? I don't 2016, I think it was. Um, and it was at a world show competition there. And this dog just flew around this huge ring. And I had never seen a dog move like that before. And I had found out, um, because it, he ended up winning the entire world uh, challenge. And uh, he, I found out it was a Brocco Italiano. I'm like, okay, well, great. So I look up and do some research. Find, come to find out it points birds. It's a pointing dog. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm like, well, that is very handy that it will, that I not only love the way that this, you know, dog moves, but it's also going to point birds for me. So did a lot of research. Um, you know, of course, it's very important to me to find one that's form and function. And um, they ended up importing my first one from the UK. Um, I have a, two from the UK and then one from uh, Hungary. and. Um, they're, they're just a perfect complement to what we have here with the wire hairs. And I know a lot of people with wire hair pointing Griffons that also have Brocco Italiano, um, because for me, the Broccos, they do really well, you know, that early season in the heat, like I kind of mentioned earlier that the wire hairs don't do, um, great with, uh, but if, things that are pleasing to my eye is really what I get into. And this breed is so pleasing to my eye that if, even when I'm out hunting, don't get in any birds. If I can watch that trot of the Brocco Italiano, it, it makes, it makes me get goosebumps. It, it gives me all the feels. And it's like, I enjoy just being out here doing this because 
Um, the Bracco Italiano, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the sporting breeds um, have what you'd call like a gallop. Um, and the Bracco Italiano has, they call it a fast trot, but I consider it more of like a thrusting trot where they have this huge push in the rear um, and, and their extension in the front and the rear is, is just um, parallel. It's just perfectly up and down and it's a very effortless movement. So they should be doing this from start to finish. They shouldn't be running. They shouldn't be galloping. They should just be trotting. And it's very, it's a very fast movement. So it's not a typical, like what we think of maybe a, of a setter, um, you know, trotting around in a field or a, a Brittany. It's this, it's a very fast paced thing. And um, for me, that, that is just amazing. It's, it's so pleasing to my eye that I can't get enough of it. So I saw my first Bracco Italiano in person um, while I was apprenticing to be a Navda judge. So that would have been in 2018 before Aiden was born. And I saw my first one. His name was Quigley. I still follow um, his family and the dog on Facebook yeah. because he yes. um, was really special to watch, really awesome to watch. I think that I had kind of a preconceived idea of what a Bracco Italiano would be. And I was like, oh. This is going to be slow and plotty and houndy and boring. And it was not. Yes. It was it was awesome. Yes. It was exciting. He's got such a great personality. Um, I haven't met a lot of Broncos. Um, I've worked with a couple now. Um, but they. I agree. They're very pleasing to my eye as well. I think they have such sweet faces. Um, I like watching them work. And you can do it all with them. They're very versatile as well. Um, they're yeah. not just an upland dog. Um which some people may think that they are, but you can do it all with them. Um, and I do like them a lot. So it made me really excited when I saw you starting posting stuff about them because I don't know if I could ever talk Ethan. I can't even talk him into getting goats. So I don't really know if I could ever talk him into getting a Bracco Italiano. Um, so I kind of, like I said, I live vicariously through you and your other animals, um, on, on social media and, um, you had a post of one of them having like five toys stuffed in its mouth because it's got these giant right. jowls and it's just so adorable. Yes. Um, His big drool tools. <laughs> yes, I love how you call them that. That's so adorable. Um, do you guys plan on ever breeding them or are they just your other breed that you have? Yeah, okay. yeah, we do. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's it's an, it's super sad for me right now, actually, this week because um, I did an ultrasound and she wasn't pregnant. Um, Aww. so, uh, but Angus has been used a couple times. He has some, you know, nice puppies out there and, you know, it's one of those things where when the female's standing there and she's wanting to be bred, she's flagging, like you should just let the stud dog out there and do that instead of trusting, you know, maybe the progesterone levels. Um, and so I don't know if our timing was off or, or what, um, but yeah, so hopefully, hopefully we do. Um, I had lost my first Bracco last year. So, uh, amyloidosis, it's a huge, uh, it's a big concern in the, in the health of the breed. It's a kidney disease and, um, the dogs just kind of drop dead, like between, you know, two to six years old. And unfortunately that's what I lost my very first Bracco to. Um, so, so yeah, anybody listening that is, has an interest in the breed, definitely check that those kidney levels are being, um, you know, watched for the stud dog and the dam every six months test, you know, we, I, we test cause Ingus is at studs. So we do, um, 
blood and urine evaluations to make sure that those kidneys are in check because it's a terrible thing. Um, and hopefully we can get the DNA marker on it soon, but yeah. Um, sorry, I, I got sidetracked there because it is, it is such an important thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it was also another reason why I was looking so forward to having a litter. Um, like we talked about earlier, you do all the right things and, um, you go through all the testing and man, these, there'd be some really nice powerhouse Broncos with outstanding temperaments and, um, so hopefully we will try again and, and hopefully it works, but I love the breed. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, the wire hairs will definitely always have wire hairs. They're so rugged, so versatile. Um, you know, I think we, we get it into bears here in Montana. And if, if I've come across a bear, a wire hair is going to be like, mom, I got your back. Don't worry. And the Bracco is going to be like, See you later. I'll meet you at the truck. And, they, and like you said, they can actually move pretty well. So they might beat you back to yes. the truck. <laughs> yes, they'll meet me back at the truck. So I, I feel way more secure and confident with my wire hairs out on the, you know, out in the woods when I'm hunting by myself or hiking. Um, but the Broncos are very Velcro dogs. They, I don't think I've gone to the bathroom by myself ever since I've got the breed because they always need to be right there with you. Um, but yeah, they definitely do leave some drool and slobber around the house. And I have measured the heights of how far it can get up on a wall when they shake their head. It's impressive. They sound, because I've not lived with one, just had a few in for training and that sort of thing. But they do sound very similar in temperament, personality to short hairs, which is probably why I do like them um, considerably. You know, the, the Velcro dog or the FOMO dog, you know, they, they have to be with you. They want to come with yeah. you. I like that. Um, I don't want to necessarily call it neediness, but um, lives for the attention and the, you know, socialization with us, um, which I really enjoy because we didn't have kids for the Absolutely. first 10 years we were married. We had, we had short hairs, we had dogs. And so um, they filled that role, if you will, not that I would be like, yeah, they're my kids, but they filled that spot in our home where it would have been empty otherwise, just Ethan and I. So I like that a lot about um, what you're explaining the Broncos are. And um, I hope that you guys can get a litter. It sounds like you're doing all the right things and I'm hopeful. Yeah. Um, sometimes things happen. I mean, we've had females come up open and then end up having, you know, a nine, 10 puppy litter, the next litter that they've been bred. So things just sometimes happen right. for reasons. So, um, but hopefully yep. your, um, wire hair litter will also take, cause you said you have one of those that just got bred. So you'll get to confirm yes. that soon. So hopefully puppies of one form or the other will be in your near future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it definitely helped the situation of, wow, how, where are we going to put two litters? Um, so now we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> One if there's a, a plus and, side of it. <laughs> I guess. Silver linings, we have to kind of try and force ourselves to look on the positive side of things sometimes, for sure. So, Right. Well, with all that being said, and a few technical glitches and difficulties, so hopefully everything gets spliced <laughs> together nicely. Um, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I always love chatting with you. I love running into you at things like Pheasant Fest um, and, you know, being on your show and just the talks that we've got to have because we do have so much in common from our families and our dogs and, and our passions that um, it's always like if we don't talk for a while, it's picking right back up where we left off. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. I completely agree. 
So I would like you to just say goodbye to everybody and tell them again where they can find you in case they missed that in the beginning, because um, you have some great content that you put out there. Um, and I want you to be able to share that with everybody. Yeah, thank you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity again, Kat. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's it's nice to have chats with people that kind of get your life, right, of of the dogs and the kids and, and the craziness because not everybody understands it. Even family sometimes, they're like, I don't get you guys with these dogs and all the events you go to and things you do. <laughs> so it's nice to have people uh, like you and Ethan that kind of that, that get exactly what's going on here. Um, but yeah, if you want to learn uh, more or listen to the podcast, The Bird Dog Babe, um, you can find out anywhere where podcasts are available. Um, you can follow my fun stories of the dogs and the kids and the crazy, crazy animal ranch here that we have on Instagram at Bird Dog Babe or um, on Facebook. And um Let's see. Our website is com. If you're interested, happy to um, answer questions about the wire hairs the, and, and the Broncos both. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Again, thank you for being on the show and thank you to all of our fans and listeners who have tuned in to learn a little bit more about the differences between German wire hair pointers and German short hair pointers. Um, don't forget to check us out on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, our YouTube channels where we have dog training videos, as well as our new YouTube channel dedicated only to these podcasts, as well as my husband has a YouTube channel, Guy with a Pink Gun, if you want to follow along for his pigeons and other guy antics that he does, um, <laughs> as well as we do have... A Patreon account, and I believe you do as well, Courtney. Don't you have a Patreon? Um, I do. Yep. Which yep. we utilize Patreon, and I believe Courtney does too, as a community to help educate people, answer questions, share content. Um, so you can find ours at patreon.com slash standingstonekennels. And Courtney, what is yours? Patreon.com forward slash the bird dog. Perfect. Uh, and then last but not least, if you need anything to train your dog or go hunting, check our online store out at standingstonesupply.com. And until then, I will see you in our next video. Mm -hmm.